Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. God's powerful word from John 8, verses 31 to 47. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, okay, we're good. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is God's word. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Yes, excellent. Uh, My name is Mark, and uh, if your friend brought you here for the first time, they're kind of looking over you right now like, that's not our pastor. Uh, I actually pastor a church called Connection about uh, 15 minutes south of here in uh, North Etobicoke. And uh, Vijay and I, uh, we have been connected for a long time because uh, you may not know this, but Upper Room has a younger sibling. Uh, Ten years ago, Upper Room was birthed. You just celebrated your 10th uh, anniversary, which is fantastic. Three years ago, the parent church, Rexdale Alliance Church, actually birthed another church called Connection. And uh, I actually have the amazing opportunity of being the pastor there. And uh, for these uh, eight weeks, as we we're in this series called Rooted, VJ and I are doing this tag team preaching thing where we're kind of going back and forth between uh, our churches. You guys are a week ahead of us, which means uh, they are hearing uh, about pain and suffering, which was last week, part three for you. And this week, we are starting.
starting part four. So uh, it's been really great, been uh, really awesome to be a partner together and just the camaraderie that's been coming off this. Just absolutely love it. And so if you've missed it up until this point, you've missed some parts, let me just give you a sampling of what you missed. And I'm not telling you this so that you feel bad. In fact, today will kind of stand on its own. So you don't have to feel like you're in the middle of a movie. It's like, oh, I, I, you know, because I'm one of those people who I have to start from the beginning and nobody can talk until the end and I don't want any interruptions, right? So if you're kind of like me, don't worry, because today we'll stand on its own. And I'm just going to tell you what you missed, kind of like to, to tempt you to maybe go online and listen so that you can kind of get caught up, okay? So here are the three questions that we've answered so far. Who is God? Why doesn't he speak to me? And why is there suffering in the world? Like questions, right? Like, who is God? Why doesn't he speak to me? And why is there suffering in the world? So three fantastic questions. And today we're not going to answer any question. Today we're not answering a question. I'm giving you a caution. No question, a caution. No question, a caution. Can we handle that today? Does that sound okay? Yeah, excellent. All right, so we are going to start with a caution, and before I give you the caution, let me give you a story to help you understand how dangerous this can be. Years ago, a friend came to me, and he's like, Mark, I have to tell you this amazing story. It's hilarious. I'm like, okay, what's up? He's like, so my wife and I, some other couples, some singles, you know, we were hanging out at this, this young couple's house. You know, they were relatively newly married, didn't have any kids yet, and so we just, we were there for this, this party, you know, just hanging out, casual, and then on our way out, we got this idea. We went to one of the single guys, you know, didn't have a spouse to go home to that night, and we said, hey, why don't you sneak into this couple's guest bedroom and spend the night? Like, just like, like, ha surprise, I slept over, you didn't know, like, wouldn't that just be hilarious? Which, all of a sudden, you're like, no, this sounds like an absolutely terrible idea. But somehow, they convinced him, he's like, I don't know, what if, you know, they're like, no, no, don't worry, it's late, you know, it's fine, you're, you're, no, nothing's gonna happen, right? So, he's like, okay, fine. So, this guy sleeps over in the guest bedroom, and thankfully, you know, nothing happened, you know, nobody came in with a baseball bat, right? Like, he survived the night. Saturday morning rolls around the next day, and this couple does what any couple does when you don't have kids. They just slept, right? It's like, that's what you do on a Saturday morning when you don't have kids. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's what we used to do on Saturday mornings. And so, so this couple, they're sleeping in, and kind of they wake up the Saturday morning like, oh, morning, sweetheart. Good morning. You know, like, and he's kind of, he's in the other room like, oh, dear. And then, and then he overhears a conversation, and it's like, honey, isn't this just wonderful? Just me and you and our little baby, our baby that nobody knows about yet, that we haven't told yet. We haven't told our parents. We haven't told our relatives. They hadn't told anybody yet. That is how your pastor, BJ, and his wife, Jen Christian, told the world about the fact they were expecting their first child. True story. Now, I tell you that. No, you, you thought I was messing around. That is a true story, and I have his permission to share that story. Now, thankfully, they were friends. Nothing, you know, horrible happened. But how many of you, how many of you, how many of you, just be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you now are going to go home, you're going to get into bed, and, you know, you're going to, you know, like, hey, and then it's like, honey, can you go check the guest room? How many, right, how many of you at community group this week are going to make an announcement like, guys, don't ever think about it. It's not funny. Don't try it. At the end of home group, you're going to be there counting shoes, make sure that all that came in left. I mean, some of you, I mean, I already have this problem, so I'm telling the story. It's not going to affect me because my wife, every night, like, I get into bed, and she's like, can you just go check that everything's locked? And, like, I'm terrified because I'm like, I'm sure it's locked. But if it's not locked or something happens, then I'm so done. So, you know, every night I already have it. Now you're going to join me. So anytime you're walking through your house, just remember, thank you, Pastor Mark. You know, this is what you've left me to. But the, the story is funny, but it highlights a very simple principle. And the reason why we would actually be scared a little bit when we hear that story, because, uh, because very simply this. Something does not need to be seen to pose a threat. Something does not need to be seen to pose a threat. And that's why there's so many times where you go and you check your house and you look under the bed and you have someone walk through your house with a shovel like just to make sure that everything's okay because even though you don't see it, it could pose a threat. 
And this isn't just, you know, someone sleeping over in your house. This is like everywhere. If you've ever traveled through Europe, pickpockets. I mean, you've probably never seen a pickpocket, but you like stuffed your wallet in your pants, like you tried to hide at places because you know that just because you couldn't see them, they still posed a threat. This is why when you're at the ATM, you're the last person in the grocery store, the person at the, at the cash is not even looking at you, and yet what do you do? You still, you still cover up, right? You still do your little thing because even though you can't see a threat, you still know that an unseen threat is still a threat. This is why when you go to the hospital, I don't know if you ever go to the hospital, but you know, you leave the room and you do the same routine every time, right? You're like, right? Or some of you, it's like, right? Like the whole, you know, you're just like, it's all over me. I don't see it, but it's still a threat because what is not seen can still pose a threat to you. Now, the crazy thing is that something that's not seen is a big threat, but a bigger threat is something that is not seen and not even imaginable. You see, as much as we try and get away from germs all the time, we try and hide because we're like, we know they're not visible, but we at least know they're there, and so if someone's sick, we stay away from them. Did you know that within the last 200 years, we actually discovered what germs were? That even before that, people had no idea, and so not only was it something that was invisible, but they couldn't even imagine it. And so they'd see their, their sick friend or they'd go and visit someone who just passed away and they'd hug them, they'd give them a kiss on the forehead, they'd get all up in their grill and it didn't matter because they're just like, yeah, we're just you know, mourning the loss. And we'd look at that and we'd be like, you don't even see what's going on. You don't even have a clue about it. You don't even know what germs are because not only is it not seen, but it's not imaginable. And sometimes the most dangerous thing, and this is why we so badly, so badly, so badly want to pause our kids before they go on a field trip or before they go out or before they go somewhere, and it's like, hey, listen, I need to tell you about something. This exists, and you won't even see it, but it exists because you want them to be aware of it because it's dangerous, because just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't pose a threat to you. And if you don't even know it's there, it poses an even bigger threat. And the reason why that's such an important principle is because when you open up the scriptures, you discover that they begin to talk about an invisible threat that is threatening every single one of us. And today we're going to start to unpack, we're going to start to look at this threat. And the amazing thing is that some of you, it's not even just invisible, but it's actually unimaginable. That for some of you, you're going to kind of hear this thing, and you're going to be like, oh, it's one of those churches, right? Like they actually believe in this stuff. And we do, we do. It's in the scriptures and we totally believe in it, okay? But I just want to engage with you for a second. Just say, hey, what if it's possible? Because here's the thing, okay? I know a lot of people dismiss this and they're like, there's no way that's true. There's no way that's true. But think about it. When you look back at history, there are so many times in history when people said, there's no way that there's this thing called germs. And I don't know why you're trying to separate people and put the sick people over there and the healthy people over there. And yet later on, those were the people that were seen as simplistic and naive. There were people that thought that the world was round and everyone said, there's no way that the world can be round. It's gotta be flat. And later, 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 they finally discovered that no, actually it is round. And the people who didn't believe it, they were simplistic and naive. And so is it possible just for a little bit that we could just engage and say, is it possible that there's a threat out there that is invisible and maybe unimaginable, but it is threatening your and my life and all those that we love. So today we're going to open up the scriptures. If you've never engaged with the scriptures before, we're so glad that you're here and we're going to open them up. And we're going to open today to, first of all, Ephesians. Now, don't flip there. We're going to put it on the screen very quickly, but we have other passages we're covering. And if you try and flip through them all, you're going to be doing some biblical gymnastics. It's going to be a mess. You're going to get lost. So just, it'll be on the screen in a moment, okay? But I just want to give you a little bit of a setup for the book of Ephesians, okay? The book of Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. And at the time he wrote this, he was in prison, 
there's something funny you learned, okay? Part of the Bible was actually written in prison, okay? And so Paul is writing this letter in prison because of his faith. He, because he was a follower of Jesus, he was persecuted, he was eventually put in prison. And the interesting thing about Paul is he's kind of backwards. You see, usually when you have a friend in prison, you go and visit them or you send them notes and encourage them. Paul is in prison and he's writing letters of encouragement to people who aren't even in prison. He's like, hey guys, I know it's hard, you know, stand strong, you know, keep the faith. And he's just, he's warning them about things. He's telling them, watch out for this, watch out for that. And then all of a sudden, we, we kind of peek into his letter, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we see him warning the other Christians about something that he knows is incredibly dangerous. And th- these people were threatened. I mean, every day they got attacked, beaten. Some of them were killed. They were put in prison. So there's a lot to warn them about. And look what he says. I love this. I love this. I love this. It's fascinating. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. To which, if you're getting this letter, they're like, Paul, Of course it's against flesh and blood. It's the flesh and blood guy who just gave me a beating. It's the flesh and blood guy who stands outside your prison cell and keeps guard over you. It's the flesh that you're missing all the beatings that you've had. It's the blood that's all around your prison cell. It is absolutely against flesh and blood. We're getting destroyed out here. So how in the world can you say that our battle is not against flesh and blood? And Paul's like, no, no, I know that. I know that. I'm well aware. You don't have to remind me of all my wounds. I I know, I know, I know. But I want you to know that our battle is not just against flesh and blood there's something that you do not see. There's something that maybe you haven't even imagined yet, and I want to make you aware of it. And so he continues, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Pause saying Paul is saying, pause for a second, guys. I want you to realize that there's something more than we see in the visible. There's an invisible realm. Call it spiritual, call it supernatural, call it whatever you'd like. The reality is, is there's more than what we can see, taste, and touch. There's an invisible realm, and there are powers out there that are evil. To which all of a sudden you start to hear this, and you're like, really? Really? And you're kind of picturing, like, you know, those people who are like, you know, those green goblins who hide behind bushes and eat your small pets. And, you know, like, is that what he's talking about? Like, is that what he means? Or is it like the guys, you know, the red horns and the pitchfork sits on your shoulder and whispers sweet nothings into your ear? Like, is that what it's about? It's just like, like, what in the world could this be about? And today what we're going to discover is that this invisible realm and this invisible enemy is completely unimaginable. That if you had a hundred guesses as to what it would be like knowing nothing about what the scriptures say, you would never, ever guess that this would be the way that it works. In fact, that you're not going to have a category to put it in. And so today, we're going to turn to John chapter 8. And this one, if you have your Bibles, or if you have a device, flip there, thumb there, however you get there, because I want you to highlight something. I want you to underline something. I want you to never, ever forget this, because this is going to be so incredibly critical as you go throughout the rest of your life. So John chapter 8, Len was awesome, read the whole passage. I'm not going to preach every single verse that would take us hours, but we're going to zero in on one very specific part of the conversation. So Jesus is dialoguing with these religious people, and they're kind of arguing with him. And it's kind of, I don't know if you kind of noticed it, but it's kind of like a na 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 I don't know what you are, but like, you know, like, that's what you are, but what am I? Like, it's kind of like one of those kindergarten arguments where it's like, yeah, what about this? Like, well, we're not illegitimate children. And they're just kind of going back and forth, back and forth. And there's this whole dialogue going on about who is Jesus Really, and they're disagreeing, and Jesus is like, no, no, I don't think you guys understand, and maybe you don't hear me, and maybe you don't understand because maybe you don't love God as much as you think you do, or maybe you're not actually following God, maybe you're following someone else, and so we just kind of jump into the middle of their conversation, and this is awesome because we're going to get a glimpse of this invisible enemy that is after every single one of us. So Jesus is talking back to them, to the religious leaders, and he says in verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. And then he says this, you belong to your father. Just pause for a second before we get to the next part. Just imagine Jesus talking to a bunch of religious people. Some of them probably even have the outfits and there's crowds and they're like, Jesus is arguing with kind of the religious people of the day. And you just imagine, right? Jesus is like, you belong to your father, the devil. You just, just imagine how awkward that'd be. That'd be kind of like on the subway, you see a nun, just kind of, she's got her whole outfit on and she's like, how's your dad doing? You know? The devil, right? Just imagine, like, the whole crowd, like, oh, right? Like, it's, like, it's the thing you would never, ever say to people who look religious, right? Like, it's just, just don't go there. And Jesus is like, but the reason that you don't understand, the reason that we're arguing, and the reason that you're not listening to me is because you're listening not to your father, God, that you think, but you're actually listening to your father, the devil, and you carry out his desires, your father's desires. And then, and then, and then I love this, I love this. Jesus pauses, and he gives them a picture of what this invisible, maybe even unimaginary force is like. He says this, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a liar and a murderer. He's a liar and a murderer. Maybe the best way to remember it is his goal is destruction, his tool is deception. His goal is destruction, his tool is deception. To which you kind of pause and you're like, whoa, 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 my grandma told me about Satan or the devil or the enemy or that dark force. And his tool was not lying. His tool was hip hop. His tool was rock music. His tool was Marvin Gaye. Like, I mean, they just kind of list off all the things. Like, that's what my grandma said the devil was into. And it's just like, no, no, he's, he's a liar. To which you're kind of like, a liar? A liar? Like, what's so bad about a liar? Like, imagine if we can get, like, all the villains from all the superhero movies and get them in a room together. They're kind of dialoguing, and they're introducing themselves. And it's like, what do you do? Like, I spit venom, and, you know, like, going through all the things. Like, what do you do? Like, I'm Satan. I tell lies. And it's like, ooh, right? Like, what's so big about lies? Like, just imagine, right? It's like toddlers lie when their hands are in a cookie jar. Like, why is this so scary? Why is this so bad? Why in the world should we be scared of this? But if you pause, and if you think about it, and you reflect on it, you know, you know, you know that lies are incredibly powerful and lies are incredibly destructive. In fact, if you think about it for any length of time, you would actually realize that lies have the power to destroy life. That lies, when believed, have the power to change the entire trajectory of your life. In fact, if we were to pause, we were to pass a microphone around this room. Probably take us a while, maybe a few days. We were just ask, have lies ever impacted you? You'd hear stories from your friends, your family members, maybe your spouse, maybe even yourself. You'd have stories to share of a lie that you believe in the way that it destroyed a part of your life or it changed the trajectory of your life and the way that you were going and the life that you were living. And in fact, here's some lines that you'd probably hear over and over and over again. If only... If only, if only I had known the truth. If only I had known the truth yesterday. If only I had known the truth last week, last year, 10 years ago. If only I had known the truth before he was gone. 
If only I had known the truth before she was gone. If only I had known the truth before I said yes, or before I said no, or before I applied, or before I bought that, or before I rejected him, or before I made that decision, or before we decided. If only, if only, if only I had known the truth over and over and over again, you would realize because the power of lies is devastating. It has the power to destroy life. It has the power to change the trajectory of life. It is incredibly, incredibly powerful. That I think all of us, could agree, whether you're here today and you're not a church person, whether you've been a church person your whole life and you love Jesus, whatever it may be, the one thing we could all agree on, the one thing we all would have in common is that we all agree that lies have power behind them. They have the power to destroy. They have the power to change the trajectory of your life. This is why parents so often say to their kids, just don't lie to me. Just don't lie to me. It's like you never even really thought it out, but it's just like there's something about lying that hits the core of your being that you don't ever want to be lied to. And you said to your spouse, just don't lie to me. Whatever you do, just don't lie to me. I've heard even some parents say, you know, we actually told our kids they could do whatever they wanted as long as they didn't lie to us about it. There's something in the core of our being that never, ever wants to be lied to because it destroys and it changes the trajectory. So then if you pause and you think about it for a second, that there is an invisible enemy. His goal is destruction. His tool is deception. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem so non-threatening anymore. But all of a sudden, it gets a little bit terrifying. To which often people are like, okay, but are you sure? Like, I don't really know if I see this in my life. And the amazing thing is that to see this invisible enemy, you don't need a microscope. You don't need a magnifying glass. As someone really smart once said, all you need is a rearview mirror. All you need is a rearview mirror. If you look back on your life, how many times have you and I said these words? How could I have been so confused? How could I have been so stupid? How did I think that that was a good idea? How did I think she was a good idea? How did I think he was a good idea? Why couldn't I see it coming? How did I miss that? Why didn't I listen? All my friends were there, everybody that I love and respect, and my mentors were telling me no, and they were telling me no, and they had a little intervention for me, and I still somehow didn't see it. I still somehow couldn't grasp it. How did I not see it? His goal is destruction, his tool is deception. For some of us, it's not even a rearview mirror. For some of us, it's just a mirror. Like we wake up maybe every morning, every Saturday morning, it's just like, how did I fall for that again? Why did I say yes to that again? I said I would never do that. Or I promised my kids, or I promised my husband, I promised my parents, I promised myself, whatever it is. How did I end up here again? How did I do that? Why did I think that was a good idea? Over and over and over again, we just continue to look back and we continue to see that there were lies that we believed in our teen years, in our 20s, in our 30s, and on and on and on, that have constantly deceived us and destroyed certain parts of our life, certain relationships that we had, or changed the trajectory of our life forever. Amazing thing, it's not just personal. I love history, so one of the things I discovered in history is there's a really dark time, especially for people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, that we kind of just carry around as baggage, which is called the Crusades. There was this time, if you're not aware, where there was a group of people in a culture where they actually thought in the name of Jesus, it was their job to force people to believe in Jesus. And if they didn't, they would kidnap them, attack them, torture them, kill them, put them in prison, whatever it took to get them to come to that place where they acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. How in the world is it that a group of people who called Jesus Lord Jesus, a man who never carried a weapon, who never started a fight, never went into battle, never forced anyone to even listen to him, let alone believe in him and follow him. How is it that people who called themselves his followers thought that by 
kidnapping, attacking, and murdering people that they were doing his work. His goal is destruction, and his tool is deception. Now, at this point, there are two kind of feelings going on. For some of you, you're starting to get worried, and some of you are starting to get relieved. Some of you are getting worried, some of you are getting relieved. You're getting worried because you're starting to hear what I'm saying is Satan is the reason there's all the bad in the world. And others of you are getting relieved because you're like, oh, it was Satan, it wasn't me. Right? Some of you are getting relieved because you hear me saying that Satan is the reason all the bad in the world. And others of you, you're kind of, this is your way to get scot-free because you're like, oh, it wasn't my fault. Satan made me do it. The amazing thing when you open up the scriptures is yes. His goal is destruction, his tool is deception, but he's putting fuel on a fire that was already lit because the scriptures say that every single one of us has a sin nature inside of us, which very simply, if that's new to you, just, just forget about that word. I know it has a lot of baggage, but basically just think of it this way. What that means is that every single one of us has a gravitational pull towards doing things for ourselves instead of honoring God. A gravitational pull towards doing things for ourselves instead of for God. Any evil that you see in the world, you will find that at its root. A gravitational pull of people who look out for themselves before honoring God. Satan comes, he flips matches on that fire, he puts a little fuel on that fire, he blows a little wind into that fire, but remember, we are responsible for the decisions that we make. He is not the one to blame. He may tease, he may appetize, he may stroke that fire, but he's not the only one. I have a vivid imagination, so maybe, maybe this, this example, and I'm making this up, okay, but maybe this example would help you of maybe how he works a little bit. Kind of imagine, you know, Satan sitting in his office. If he has an office, I don't know if he has an office, but just imagine he has an office, right? Just imagine, like, one of his little demons coming in, like, hey, boss, just came to give you my weekly report. Just wanted to let you know, Roger, that marriage, it's done. I mean, he was treating his wife terribly. He, he even, you know, the cops were there a few times. He, he assaulted her, and now he's just left the entire family. It's just, it's a mess. We did great. And I just kind of imagine Satan's in there like, Roger, Roger, Roger. I don't remember a Roger. Like, was he on our roster? I mean, it smells like something we would do, but like, I don't remember. You just kind of imagine he has a little notebook, like, Roger, no, no, no. And, you know, back in the 90s, you know, Roger, there he goes. It's like 20 years ago. Yeah, I remember Roger. Yeah, we did, a, we did a little side project on him. Roger, newly married. He was at Bible study. Bible study? We do work at Bible study? Oh, yeah, we work. We love Bible study, right? It is just imagine, like, Bible Home group? Yeah, home group. Absolutely. We're in there. And, you know, he was reading the scriptures. He was reading that passage from Paul about husbands. You know, that part where it says the husband is the head of the home. You know that part? Like, oh, yeah, I never liked that part because it had this amazing image that just, you know, put people away from it. Like, yeah, well, you know what we did? We just tweaked that word that said head, leader, and we just convinced him that it meant boss. We just, we just twisted it a little bit. And all those parts where it talks about, you know, to be great is to serve and the greatest among you are actually the greatest servants and to be the leader is to be the greatest servant and to sacrifice your life. We just made sure he didn't see that part. And so then we just took the word leader and just changed it from the definition of what the scriptures have to teach about it and what Jesus had to teach about it and what Paul had to teach about it. And we just changed that little word from leader to boss. And I guess over the last 20 years, that's just kind of messed with his head and just got in his marriage. And well, we see how that ended. Just threw a little bit of fuel on that fire. Just twisted the truth a little bit because his goal is destruction and his tool is deception. So the two questions that come to mind, the two questions that come to mind are what lies have I been believing and what lies 
am I still believing? As you look through the rearview mirror and you look back in your life, it's like, what lies was I believing? What lies did Satan tell me that I was believing that were informing every decision I made and the life that I had and the relationships I had? What lies did I believe? And then the second question, and maybe the most important question, because, I mean, we can't really fix the past, but we can look forward, is what lies am I believing now? What lies am I believing now? Because his goal is destruction, and his tool is deception. Now, at this point, you know, most of you are doing this mental checklist where you're like, yeah, what lies am I believing? Okay, I'm not on drugs. I'm not cheating on my spouse. Don't drink too much. Well, okay, well, that guy drinks more than me, so okay, that's good too, right? And you're just kind of doing these mental, you know, these games. And then like, and then, oh, and I read my Bible sometimes, and I go to church most Sundays. Like, I'm good. Nothing, nothing huge, nothing big in my life, nothing going wrong that I can see. So Satan must not be lying to me. He must not be deceiving me. The trajectory of my life is exactly where God wants me. So I guess I'm good. I guess I'm safe. And you move on from there. Can I tell you that when you open up the scriptures, he is so sneaky, you can never even see him coming. You would never see the lies that he was telling you because he just twists the truth a tiny little bit. I want to show you a passage of scripture. I love this passage of scripture because it just kind of shows his hand and it shows what he is up to and what he is capable of. Again, you don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Uh, But we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4, three verses. Uh, If you don't know, uh, there's a time where Jesus actually uh, entered the desert to be tempted by Satan. It says in the scriptures that he's tempted in every way that we ever could be tempted. And so he's experienced all the temptations that you and I have ever and will ever face. And so we're going to just read this little, little tidbit of the story, okay? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After, and I love this sentence, it's hilarious. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Greatest understatement in the Bible, okay? I don't have my second breakfast, I'm hungry. He's almost dead. In fact, historians look at this and like, he was like, like that 40 days is like borderline life or death, but he was a carpenter, he's probably really fit, you know? So he was, he was muscling on, but not much life left. He was starving. He was hungry, isolated, and tired. The three things that definitely are in time when Satan will try and lie to you the most. Hungry, isolated, and tired. And so Satan comes to him, and I love this. The tempter came to him and said, okay? Now, you know the story, a lot of you, so you know what he's going to say. But let's just imagine we don't. What do you expect? Do you expect him to be like, hey, here's some vodka. You know, if you just drink this, you'll numb all the pain away, right? Or you must be really lonely. Here are some prostitutes, right? Like, you just expect, like, if the devil's behind it, it's going to be big, and it's going to be ugly. Can we just pause and just see? What does he say? He says, then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Let's just pause. Teenagers, are there any teenagers in the room? You've had this happen before, right? Like high schoolers, your parents are driving off. They're like, hey, we're going away for the weekend. Remember, nobody in the house. You know, they, they kind of go through the list of things. And then what do you do? They're driving away, and then you get the phone right away, and you call your friends like, guys, my parents are gone for the weekend. Call everybody, because we're making bread. Right? Like, have you ever had that happen? No. Have you ever looked at your bread maker and like, Satan's work of the devil, right? Like, no, like, what is wrong with making bread? Nothing, and we know Jesus can do it because he turns water into wine, so why is turning stones into bread a bad thing? It's not, it's not, it's not. His deception is just misdirecting. Jesus is in the wilderness engaging with his heavenly father in prayer for 40 days, and Satan's like, no more of this. I just need to distract him, even if it means just making bread so he can fill up his stomach. 
I just want to distract him from what God has planned for his life. I don't need him to do something horrible that everyone would know about. I just need him to do something that nobody would even think twice about Jesus having done. It probably wouldn't even make it into the scriptures. But in that moment, he wants to just misdirect him. And if you continue to read that story, and we don't have time today, what you discover is that he misdirects, he misquotes, and I don't even know if this is a word, but he mispromises. He, you know, lies. He lies all the time. And he's like, hey, if you do this, I'll give you this. And it's like, that's not even yours to give. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm a liar. That's what I do, right? Like, it's just over and over and over again. He's just misdirecting a little bit. He's misquoting God. He's telling you, oh, yeah, God said this. Like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. But that's what he does. He's just, he's so sneaky. He's so sneaky. He's so sneaky. That he just tweaks it a little bit that he misdirects, misquotes, and mispromises all to get you to move away from the life that God has planned you to live, even if it means doing nothing that you would categorize as evil, but simply not doing something good that God has called you to. So what's the antidote? How do we fight back against this, right? Like, like what is the way that we get this enemy and, and silence him? The same way you beat any lie. The same way you beat any lie, which is what? The truth. The truth. Years ago, my friend asked his parents, he's like, hey, can I borrow the car to go to church? And they're like, sure. And he wasn't going to church. He, you know, left town, went to visit uh, a girl, and then, you know, came back. And, and they're like, how was your time at church? And he's like, it was great. They're like, you weren't at church. He's like, yeah, I was at church. And he tried to lie, and he tried to lie, and he tried to lie. But he could never lie because he had no idea that they had a GPS tracker on the car, and they knew exactly that he left town. He went two hours north and back. It was this big mess. But you can never, ever lie to someone, no matter how good a liar you are, if they know the truth. How do you know Satan's lies? How do you discover them? How do you see the person whose goal is destruction and his tool is deception in your life? You simply know the person that he's going to lie to you about and you know him better. That every time Satan lied to Jesus, what did he do? He quoted the scripture. He's like, no, 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 the scriptures say, and he quoted them back. That he will never be able to lie to us if we actually know what God has said in that moment. So I gave you this, I got this little poem for you to help you remember it, okay? It's going to sound really cheesy, okay? It's going to sound really, really cheesy. You're going to be like, they should be learning that in Treehouse. That's like a kiddie thing, okay? But trust me, I want this in your head because it's so incredibly important. Here it is. To know what God did and didn't say, engage the scriptures every day. To know what God did and didn't say, engage the scriptures any, every day. The only way you'll be able to tell his lies from the truth is that if you know what God actually says, whether you read them, whether you listen to them, whether you come and listen to them being taught, engage the scriptures every day through your CBRs with the rooted study. That's fantastic. That's such a great way to find out truths. I know so many of you have been learning so many things that you didn't even know were in the scriptures. It's an amazing thing, and that's because you've been engaging the scriptures every day, and now you know what God did and didn't say. One of my favorite parts of my job, because I get to teach God's word practically every week, is when I stand at the back at my church, and someone comes and like, did God actually say that? And I'm like, yeah, it's in the Bible. They're like, I had no idea. I wish I had known that before college, or I wish I had known that before I, you know, and they just go through this whole list, and I'm like, yeah, no, it's amazing. And they're like, wow, I had no idea God thought that. I had no idea Jesus did that. I had no idea that was in the scriptures. Or I love getting phone calls from people, and they're like, I'm reading this passage, and I think it's saying this, but I know it's this. I'm like, who told you that? Like, oh, my, well, you know, my friends told me that. I'm like, yeah, but the scriptures are right there, and that's the truth. Like, I had no idea. I've been living my whole life believing this lie. I'm like, yeah, and now you know the truth. I love that. I love that. It's probably my favorite part of my job is when people get to hear the truth of God's word, and they see the lies that they've been told, and the trajectory that has changed, or the things that have been destroyed in their life, and they can finally course correct and turn the other way. I love that. So engage the scriptures every day to know what God did and didn't say. Before we close, 
I want to give you four appetizers. Okay, I want to serve up some appetizers and say, hey, here are four instances that we find this in the scriptures that you'll kind of be like, wow, I didn't even know that was there. And my hope is that you get appetized by that and you want the whole meal, and so then you engage the scriptures every day to know what God did and didn't say. So four lies that we believe, and then I'll show you what the scriptures have to say about them. So the first lie. All gods are the same. All gods are the same. Uh, the Barna Group released the studies. When Christians, Jews, Buddhists, and others pray to their God, all of those individuals are actually praying to the same God, but simply using different names for that deity. They kind of put that statement out. Four in ten Americans said, yes, we agree. That, yeah, you know, as, as Gandhi said, you know, we, we all actually believe the same God, but they're just clothed differently. But we're all actually praying to the same God. Can I tell you? The scriptures don't tell you that. That, in fact, Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, hey, everyone is talking about some deity or some higher power. We're all talking about the same thing. It all works the same way, even though they sound very different. No, he says, there is only one way through me. The amazing thing is it's not just that we discover this in scriptures. The people who didn't even believe in God believe this about the Christian God. If you go back in history, 2,000 years, and you go to the Roman world where this was blowing up, the Romans were so confused by this Christian religion. This is what happened, okay? Because they all had their own religions and their views of God, and it's like, you know, this God for this, and if we dance this way, we'll appease this God, and if we do this, you know, the gods must be really angry, and so it's like, it's this for that, and if we offer up the sacrifice, or if we burn these babies, then maybe they'll have blessing for us. Like, this is the way in the Roman world that they viewed the gods, and these Christians come along, and they're like, so what do you guys believe? And they're like, we believe that God loves us so much. Like, God loves us? Yeah, yeah, God loves us so much. He took on flesh, came, lived among us, and then sacrificed himself. Sorry, did you just say sacrificed himself? He didn't ask for that? No, no. He sacrificed himself on our behalf. That's what we believe. And you know what the Romans said? They said, you guys don't even believe in a God. You guys are atheists. That's crazy. That even 2,000 years ago, they knew that when they looked at the Christian God, it was so incredibly different. But one of the lies that Satan tells, and I hear in my office all the time, is, but aren't all gods the same? Aren't we all talking to the same God? His goal is destruction, and his tool is deception. He would love you to know that. He would love you to not know that there's a God out there who's actually willing to come down to earth, engage with humanity, and die on its behalf because he loves it so much. All gods are the same as one of his greatest lies. It's not true. If you open up the scriptures, you discover it. The second one, I hear this all the time as a pastor, there's no way that God can love me after dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Most of us had said this at one time. After that relationship, after what happened, after what I did, after what I said, after all these years. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, has this beautiful verse. Don't ever forget it. You can highlight this, circle this, underline it, whatever you need to remember it because it's so incredibly important. He's speaking to Christians who have wrestled and been through a hard time. He says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation, ready for this, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know who's writing this? An ex-con, an ex-murderer. And he said, I'm at the point where I realize that there's nothing that can ever separate me from God's love. And he writes this to people, people like you and people like me who are wrestling with this question of can God still love me after? The answer is yes. Satan has lied to us all these years. The third one, before I put it on the screen, I want to give a little bit of a setup. Uh, one of the things that, that's maybe, especially if you're new to the faith or you're just exploring it or not quite sure, one of the things that often comes as a shock to people is that the scriptures actually give us guidance for life in all areas 
of life. In fact, the scriptures actually talk about how we should live in relationship to our friends and our family and even our enemies. And they actually talk about our marriages and our sexuality. And it comes up. And the one thing that comes up all the time with people who are kind of new to it, like what that's in scripture is like, yes, the way that God calls us to honor him in our sexuality is marriage between a husband and wife. All in context, he says no to sexuality, but sexuality is for marriage between a husband and wife. Okay? So that's the context. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus. That's one of the ways that we honor him. To which the question always comes up when I, I tell people that or they're wrestling with that. They're like, but don't you got a number three test drive the car? Don't you got to test drive the car? All the time people are like, don't you got to test drive the car? Now let me tell you why this is, this is such a, such, like this is so frustrating for Christians because we're so cheap. And we would never buy a car without test driving it. So it's like, that's our kryptonite, right? Like you can't take that and be like, but you'd never buy a car without test driving it, right? And it's like, dang, he's right. And then you're in your head and like, okay, so then how in the world do it? And can I just tell you something? And maybe no pastor has ever told you this, but let me just, let me just tell you this. Let me dispel this. Test drive the car. Test drive the car. Wait, wait. Did the pastor just say, yes, absolutely. It's, it's, that's not the lie. The lie is not that you should test drive the car. The lie is what you're testing. The lie is not that you should test drive the car. The lie is what you're testing. You see, let me tell you the lie. The lie that Satan is happy for you to believe is that good marriages need good sex to survive. Good marriages need good sex to survive. Just pause and think about this. You don't even have to be married. You know this isn't true. You know this isn't true. Just talk to someone who's divorced. Be like, hey, was it bad? Is that why it ended? I'm like, no. In fact, it was, it was pretty good. Just everything else that was bad. You know, it was everything else. It's just, you can have a terrible marriage and amazing sex. Satan has lied to you so often. And here's the truth. Here's the truth that maybe only a handful of people in this room, and they probably discovered this in, in a very long, hard journey, but this is a truth that Satan would never want you to know, that you can actually have an amazing marriage and terrible sex. That's actually a possibility. It's a struggle that many people have had, but it's a reality, and Satan would never, ever want you to know that. When you engage the scriptures, when you see what it says about sexuality and marriage, what you do not see is, is Paul writing to the people, and he's like, hey, guys, when you're getting married, when you're looking for a husband, when you're looking for a wife, make sure they're really good at it. Never does he says that. Can I show you what the scriptures say? Because whenever I go through this dialogue, I always bring up this passage, and I say, this is the thing you test. In Ephesians, he says this. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What if we tested that? What if that was the thing that we test drove? What if, if you want to test drive a marriage to see if this is going to work, go up to your boyfriend, go up to your girlfriend, go up to your fiance and say, hey, I love Jesus. I want to honor him with my body, and so I would like to wait till I'm married. That's the test drive. If they look at you and say, absolutely, I am totally willing to wait. I am so incredibly excited. Great, they pass the test drive. And if they say, oh, but you know, I could die. And you know, it's just, it's so hard. Drop them like third period French. Just get out of there. It's not going to be good. That is going to destroy your marriage. I promise you. They can be fantastic in the bedroom, but they won't sacrifice for you. They won't sacrifice for your kids. They won't love you as Christ loved the church. That is the thing that you need to test. Satan is so happy to have lied to us and told us that you need to have great sex to have a great marriage. You could have a great marriage and have terrible sex. The key to a great marriage is someone who loves Jesus and is willing to sacrifice on their, be on their behalf. And lastly, last lie, Satan is winning and he's irresistible. Satan is winning and he's irresistible. I just want to let scripture speak on this one, okay? I've got three passages for you. 1 John 4, 4. You 
dear children. I just, I love the affection that comes in the letters when you read the scriptures, right? It's like, they're writing to each other, like, you dear children, it's just, it's just so loving, are from God and have overcome them because the, I love this, I love this, the one who is in you, God's spirit, remember God's spirit, we talked about this in week two, God's spirit is in you, is greater than the one who is in the world, Satan, the devil, the enemy, the deceiver, whose goal is destruction, his tools, deception. Yes, he may be strong, but trust me, he's a toothless lion. His roar is big, but he's got no power. The one who is in you is far more powerful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He is irresistible. He is resistible. In Colossians 2, 15. I love this one. And having, what's that say? Disarmed. Disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he beat Satan once and for all. He's disarmed. He is resistible. We will never be tempted beyond what we can bear. The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. The reality is that we are at war with an invisible enemy whose goal is destruction and whose tool is deception, but the one that is in us is greater than him. He will lie to you. He will lie to your spouse. He will lie to your parents. He will lie to your kids and have you believing things that will destroy and change the trajectory of your life. We are at battle. How do you pick up your weapons? Engage the scriptures every day to know what God did and didn't say. Every time that you engage the scriptures, you're armoring up, not just for yourself, but for your family, for your spouse, for your parents, for your kids, for everyone around you, and you're getting ready to fight with truth, the lies that are coming in all around you. You have the opportunity to literally bring life to someone who has believed lies that are leading them on a trajectory towards death. That every time you walk past your, the scriptures, every time you decide, oh, I don't really need to teach or I need teaching or to sit under that message or to listen to the scriptures today, you are walking out unempowered, without a weapon. So as a community, as fathers, as mothers, as sons and daughters, let's engage the scriptures every day to know what God did and didn't say. The one that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He is disarmed. And we celebrate that with communion. And so I want to invite Tony up right now, and he's going to lead us in this time of celebration, kind of a, in a lot of ways, a battle cry or a victory cry that Satan is triumphed over. Benediction, and then Melissa will come give us some last announcements. Uh, as we're singing these songs, and I just I love the word pictures. It reminded me of my, my wife, who has this problem where whenever we're watching something that I know the ending to, and you know she's scared, or like, will the team win, or will they win the war? She's like, can we just fast forward to the end, and I can find out you know, who wins? And you know, because then she can kind of watch the movie or decide, I don't want to watch the movie then, right? And the amazing thing is that today in the message and even the songs that our anchor is behind the veil, like that's what we are anchored in. The reality is what we've discovered today is that the battle is already won. And so I want to bless you with this knowledge that as you go and as you get ready and as you armor up and as you engage the scriptures, this is not a battle that you're trying to win. Jesus already won it. And you're just part of the victory. So would you just rest in that truth? It's so easy to leave here kind of freaking out like there's a demon behind every bush. But the reality is, is that he is already destroyed. He's a toothless lion. And so would you go with that uh, excitement?